Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock, and that means it's time for Tim with Tim. It's the start of a new week, a new week in the Word. Actually, we're not going to get a full week in the Word. I'll just be honest with you. Um, we're going to finish up Ephesians today and tomorrow, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, no Tim with Tim this week. I am preaching for the daytime revival here at uh, my home church, Woodburn Baptist Church. I would love to have you here with me. I think we may stream those services, so if you're used to watching uh, my teaching, uh, and, and if you want to be a part of that, you may find the Daytime Revival streaming from our Facebook and YouTube uh, pages. So watch out for that. I'll let you know tomorrow maybe if I know for sure. But uh, but anyway, uh, we'll finish up Ephesians uh, tomorrow and then we'll uh, talk about what comes next. I love you guys so much. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, just verses 1 through 9 today. We'll finish up with the last part of chapter 6 tomorrow. Does that, does that, does that sound okay? Uh, I love you all so much. I appreciate your, your friendship in the Word. We were in the middle of what's frequently called a household code. In other words, Paul is giving instructions for living inside a Christian household. In many ways, this resembles a Greco-Roman household. Uh, in many ways, it does not. Uh, because this is not just Paul reinforcing the preferences of his culture. This is Paul talking about spirit-filled living. Remember that? Spirit-filled living. What, what is the nature of relationships when we are filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, it's governed by this principle of mutual submission. All of that from chapter 5 last week. Remember chapter 5, what is it, verse 21? That says, submit yourselves to one another. So everything that follows in the Christian family comes under that category. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So understand, our relationships with one another, uh, not only in the family, but also in the family, our relationships in a family are determined by, governed by, our prior relationship to Christ, which means I have a wife, I have a son, I have parents, but I have a relationship to Christ, which is the relationship that defines who I am and also the relationship that determines how I act and respond in every other relationship. And that imitation of Christ changes everything about the way I am in a family. And so uh, we have the basic structure of a Greco-Roman household, which shouldn't surprise you until today. Because you see that Paul thinks that the ordinary Christian household would probably include a, a, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, children, and slaves. I know. <laughs> I know. What? We're like, what? But yeah, Paul just assumes that your typical household may have slaves. I, I, I know. It's mind-blowing to us, but you're just going to have to, if you're really interested in this, do a little bit of reading because... Slavery in antiquity, slavery in especially in the, the Greco-Roman world, the Mediterranean economy, the Roman Empire, um, slavery was just a part of all of that, and nobody questioned it. N nobody. None of the great Greek moralists or moral philosophers. I mean, there was often debates about how slaves should be treated and what their legal rights should be. But nobody ever questioned whether or not there should be slaves. Even in antiquity, the, the, some of the, a few of the famous historical slave rebellions, the slave rebellions typically weren't trying to abolish slavery. I know. Now, in U.S. culture, in U.S. history, we have this dark stain of 
of racially based slavery because the slavery was determined by the color of skin. Slaves came nearly entirely from uh, from a, a certain continent, you know, a, a particular place. So, so there was this racial component to U.S. slavery, and and there was this uh, uh, incredible oppression, violence, which we associate and and and. Slavery in our country, in our history, is such a moral blight, you know, from which we should all repent, uh, especially Southern Baptists, because why do you think we're Southern Baptists and we divided from the North over slavery? I mean, it's devastating to remember our history, but at the same time, remember our history, but, but don't project that into every other place and every other reference to slavery, because it's just not accurate. And I know it sounds like, what? But understand, in the Roman Empire, when, on the day that Paul is writing, about a third of the population is, is enslaved. They're technically slaves. About a third of the population. Slaves, in Paul's context, in the, in the you know, Roman world, slaves could own property. Slaves could own slaves. Now, I, I didn't make that up. Slaves could own slaves. Sometimes people would sell themselves into slavery in order to move up in society. Some slaves had higher status than other free people. I, I know it doesn't make sense. It's such a, a different context for slavery. Um, I mean, doctors were frequently slaves. Teachers were often slaves. And so people would sometimes go into slavery just to get a good job. I mean, I, I, I know, but I'm just telling you, in the Roman Empire, in Paul's day, the, the, the Greco-Roman culture, there's a difference there. And so understand that difference. I'm not saying that slavery, you know, as, as a system should not have been abolished. I'm just saying, in Paul's context, nobody was saying that. Nobody was thinking that. As a matter of fact, there's some who argue that the idea of abolishing slavery really didn't come about until Christianity began to take hold. And, and then the baptismal formula where we would say we're no longer male or female, no longer slave or free. We're all you know the same, all one in Christ. I mean, uh, it, it's the gospel which ultimately, I think, leads the human mind to a greater grasp of the dignity of every single human being. You can't buy, sell, or own a person. You know what I mean? So it's the gospel you got to thank for it. But at this point, Paul is just reflecting the, the cultural reality that a family's probably going to have a husband, a wife, children, and slaves. So, so there you go. The last part of the code here where Paul gives instructions is in chapter 6, first to children, second to slaves. So let me take a few minutes and talk about these things. First off, children are told to obey. I just point that out because sometimes you know, I've, I know pastors, you know, who won't do a wedding unless the wife, you know, will put in her vows that she promises to obey. Okay, that's not biblical. Women are asked, I mean, if you want to be technical, women here in Ephesians are told to submit, but they're not told to obey. Children are told to obey. There's a difference, a status in the family, you know, and, and, and the woman is not a child, you know. I mean, I shouldn't have to say that, but let me just say the children are told to obey, not the adults in the house. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Okay, that's pretty radical right there. I, I, I know it sounds like, well, everybody wanted children to obey, and that's true. Greco-Roman families were very strict. Uh, again, you should do a little bit of reading because it makes what Paul says here especially radical. In Greco-Roman culture, the, the father in the family was given incredible authority over the children uh, legally. 
he had every legal right over their body, which means if, if the father, if a baby's born and the father didn't want the baby, he could kill it or let it die by just lay it out on the side of the road. And they did. That, that was legal. If a father wanted to beat his children, scourge his children, he could. If your father wanted to throw his son in prison, he had the authority. Nobody questioned. He's, he's like the sheriff. You know, he could just throw somebody in, in jail. As a matter of fact, a, a father could put his children to death, and nobody would question his authority to do that. Now, that was the legal reality. That doesn't mean in every Roman household, fathers and mothers were that brutal. They weren't. They weren't. Uh, everyday Roman families had a range of strictness, harshness, uh, but but it was accepted that the fathers had that kind of radical uh, authority over, over the children, which is what makes Paul's instructions here rather intriguing. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? In other words, children are given this dignity in Christ. You know, In other words, the, 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 first off, the children are addressed here in a letter which have been read in church, which assumes they're full members of the Christian community. You know, they have that dignity. Paul addresses them as fellow disciples, which I think is just amazing. But also, you belong to the Lord, which is to say, as I've already said, there's this higher prior relationship. Your relationship to your parents is governed by the fact that you have allegiance pledged to Christ and you're submitting to Christ and learning to love like Christ. And that's going to shape the way you relate to your parents. Paul goes on to, you know, make reference to the fifth commandment, you know, honor your father, mother, you know, so that it will go well with you. And he just says, it's a commandment with a promise. But notice verse four, fathers, again, it would be typical to address the fathers because they had all the legal rights in the family when it comes to the children. It was their responsibility to, to discipline, to train. And uh, like I said, they could beat them, throw them in jail if they wanted to. But Paul says, hey, fathers, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you turn them against you. Don't you raise them in such a way where they hate you? Don't you raise them in such a way where they resent you? Don't you raise them in such a way where they're bitter? Don't you raise them in such a way where once they don't have to be with you, they'll never come back to see you? I mean, you know, fathers, you know, raise your children with a longer view in mind and think about the, the person that you're raising and the attitude that you're engendering in them. So that commandment there from Paul, sort of outlaws or outrules in Christian families, the father who would be so harsh, so strict, so disciplinarian where that kid says, man, when I'm out of here, as soon as I can get away from that old man, I never want to see his face. You know what I mean? Uh, no, no, no. Bring them up with the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. So there, Paul uh, curbs the 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 uh, liberty for harshness and 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 of course for abuse, and instead lays this incredible responsibility to nurture, discipline in the Lord disciple your children, raise them up to know the Lord. That's amazing. And again, radically, radically different from anything that would have been said in Paul's day. Now, one more word about the slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear as you would serve Christ. Again, in each of these instructions to the family members, the instruction is given with that tag as to the Lord or because you belong to the Lord or as you would serve Christ. So again, even the slave here, 
the real servitude is to Christ and, and, and your master actually is, 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 is not beside the point, but serve him as you'd serve the Lord and not people. And understand Paul's giving the slave this dignity, even though he continues to be indentured in the family. Work with enthusiasm because you're working for the Lord. And remember that the Lord will reward us for the way we work, whether slaves are free. You know, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't treat them harshly because remember, you got a master. You know, again, Paul's brilliant there. You both have the same master and he doesn't have any favorites. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Because what Paul says there is, you know, in the, in the Christian family, you know, there is no slave or free. You both got a master and he doesn't prefer you over him. So watch out how you treat your slave. Again, those are the kinds of things that would not have been said in a typical Roman, Greco-Roman household code. It's that difference that it makes when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and your relationships with others is determined by a most important, essential relationship to Christ. Isn't that good? Isn't that just good? I know there's still some shocking things in that passage from our perspective because for the most part, we try to read our culture back into Paul's culture. But the principles of Christian family, I think, are still somewhat timeless. And, uh, and, and I, love, I love so much uh, what Paul is saying there. We'll pick up right here tomorrow. We'll wrap up Ephesians with uh, verses 10 to 24. Uh, the, the armor of God and, and the rest of, of Paul's ending to the letter. So listen, have a great, great Monday. I'm actually in Louisville today uh, at a pastor's conference. So pray for me. I'll see you in the morning, though, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you guys.